0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is Andrew P. Shea. Andy, my friend, how are we doing after the Fourth of July holiday and last week you had vacation? Are you finally ready to get back into the routine?
2: I thought I was back into the routine last week while on vacation, Jimmy. But yeah, I'm ready to roll. I think we have a fun topic for the show today. One I didn't expect, but one you came up with that I think is going to be fun because it brings us, it brings college football into what I think is the epicenter of what's important.
1: Well, let's get to it. And here's the background. I just a voracious reader of everything college football during the offseason, everything I could get my hands on. And one of the articles I picked up, and I'm not even sure who who put it out, it was their rankings of the Big Ten football coaches. Now, I both love these kind of things, and I hate them. I love them because it's fun to compare and contrast how would my rankings different but what I don't like about these coaching rankings, it's one of those where oftentimes I don't like the criteria they use. Essentially, they'll always put Ryan Day ahead of Greg Schiano because Schiano is coaching Rutgers. Ryan Day is coaching Ohio State. Andy, candidly, you or I could coach Ohio State, and they'll still have a better record than Rutgers would.
2: <laughs> they could? They could. I don't know if if you and I coaching Ohio state, it might be a more level playing field if you and I are coaching, but in essence with the talent level that Ohio state recruits at, and that is part of coaching Jimmy, but at the level they recruit at, it is a different expectation in a different land. And it almost looks like it could coach itself. That's not true, but it's a very interesting dynamic for sure. And I like rankings. I like everyone has their own criteria that makes them subjective. And I think coaching is a really great topic for us to spend some time on this offseason because it matters so much in the college game.
1: Well, Andy, here's what we're going to do a little bit different. We're eventually going to get to your rankings. But before we get there, I've got a lot of questions on just how we get there. How right. do we judge these coaches? And it seems like there is such a different levels of coaches because of the different levels of the quality of the programs. For instance, in the uh, Big Ten, you have you know Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, coaches of Ohio State, and Michigan. Penn State may be part of that. How about, you know, Lincoln Riley, who's now at USC? So we're going to include Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly from USC and UCLA. And, you know, one might even argue that Luke Fickle belongs in this group because of how many games he won at Cincinnati before coming to Wisconsin. So let me start with that group, Andy. Do you see any differentiation among those top coaches? or the ones who are coaching the top programs, maybe, I should I say. I think,
2: you know, don't come at me and say I'm a Michigan lover, but I, I, Jim Harbaugh's the best coach in, in the Big Ten. The, hands down, uh, to me, it's not even up for debate. Jim Harbaugh is head and shoulders the best coach, and it, it's for a couple reasons for me. And keep in mind, at his alma mater, where he is now, There, It wasn't that long ago where we were looking at, you know, there was a strong conversation about his performance. But in terms of coaching, he is the best. He's done it at college. He transitioned to the NFL and had success as well. And then he came back to college and is now having more success. That is ridiculously hard to do. I mean, if I think of guys off the top of my head, Pete Carroll – It made the transition pretty well. Um, You know, guys like that. One guy that I could think of is Pete Carroll off the top of my head. Harbaugh's done it, and he, he went back to college and is doing it again at his alma mater. So I think he's head and shoulders above the left, above the rest. I'm not sure Fickle belongs there yet. I don't think he belongs there. That's just my opinion. Does Lincoln Riley belong? Yes. Ryan Day is a maybe for me. Maybe he belongs because he's got a 45-6 and six record, right? Like, as a head coach, that's hard to avoid, but there's enough, the other side to Ryan Day that we'll get into later. So he's a maybe for me. I think Harbaugh, Lincoln Riley, and believe it or not, I think James Franklin are the three best overall college football coaches when you factor everything in in the big 10 right now. That's just my two cents.
1: I think you just struck a nerve with maybe the two or three Ohio state Buckeye fans who may listen to our show. <laughs> Andy. And that's kind of though, you hit the decor of my talking point here, which is it's got to be relative to the situation that you're in. And you can look at Ryan day and how many games he's won and say, wow, that is really good. But this is also a guy who inherited a program that was elite, inherited a program that always recruits among the best players in the country. They are always among the Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia group now that always recruits the best player, but he's not won a national championship. So is that someone who, you know, you take a look at his... 42-6 and record, as you said, has not lost more than two games in one season. But does he get hurt by the fact that he's got an incredible program and has never won a national championship?
2: Yeah, so with Ryan Day, it's two sides of the coin for me that are really tough. It's his regular season record, which is outstanding. It's his recruiting, which is obviously a very important factor. It's the staff he assembles and the guys he puts in position, guys he sends to the NFL. All of that is one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is back-to-back losses to Michigan, no Big Ten titles since 2019, and you know nothing but a blip on the radar screen in the college football playoffs, Not no victories in the college football playoffs, no national titles by the same token. That's the other side of the coin. What is... The expectation, is it, you know, the one side of the coin or is the other? I think it's the side of the coin where he's struggling. At Ohio State, yeah, you can be a great recruiter and win regular season games, but you got to beat Michigan, win Big Ten titles, and be relevant in the college football playoffs. They're not relevant, Jimmy, in terms of their productivity in the college football playoffs. So they make it? Yeah. If that field goal goes through against Georgia this year, it's a different song we're singing. But it didn't. So they're not relevant at that level in the college football playoffs. But the other side of the coin is at the highest levels, they are one of the elites among the elite that is underperforming
1: on many levels. You hit the good point, though. You know, they're a missed field goal away from a very different conversation. Just like, you know, two years ago, folks weren't too happy with Jim Harbaugh. They were ready to get get rid of him. But two big games, meaning they beat Ohio State the last two years and and the whole narrative changed. Let's move on from the top of the pecking order in the league to some of the other guys. And I'm curious, Andy, how do you judge guys who perhaps were so successful elsewhere? And I'm talking about Luke Fickle coming into the Big Ten after having tremendous success at Cincinnati. Chip Kelly's coming in. He's not new at UCLA, but he had that tremendous run at Oregon, Brett Bielema, now at Illinois, who had success previously at Wisconsin, P.J. Fleck at Western Michigan, Matt Rule, we know the success he had at Temple and Baylor, Greg Schiano now at Rutgers, who years ago at Rutgers, he, he did very well. How does that previous tenure affect how you think about them now? So I think for me,
2: what you did that, that matters, right? I really think it does. Brett Bioma, for example, had success at Wisconsin, did not have great success at Arkansas, had a smattering of it, but did not have great success at Arkansas. PJ Fleck has been successful wherever he's gone as a head football coach, nothing premier, nothing high end, nothing but overachieving. So you have to look at for the program, they're coaching Shiano, Great success before. I don't know that he's had as much success now, but he is a builder. So I I give him the rope to continue building that. And you know he's going to get there because he's been there before. So you look at it and where, where the expectations aren't as high, are the coaches and what they're doing with the program, is it overperforming? That is a big message to me. Would you say Minnesota under P.J. Fleck? Is overperforming, Jimmy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think drastically overperforming. In a short window is Brett Bielma overperforming in Illinois. Absolutely. So it, it is about overperforming at that level, and you've had it before. I don't think Chip Kelly is overperforming at UCLA, but I definitely think he is very close and borderline to to taking UCLA to being an overperforming Team on un-
1: a program under his tenure. Okay, let me ask you this question, Andy. Remember the old movie Trading Places? Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. Of course. And for those of you who are Jamie Lee Curtis fans, there's some nice moments there also. But anyway, in the Trading Places, I want to say, I want to trade places Greg Ciano and Ryan Day, Ohio State and Rutgers. How would we think differently about those two coaches? I mean, so if you're saying you take Greg Schiano and put
2: him in the situation with the players that Ryan Day's had during his tenure, I'm going to be honest with you, Jimmy. I'm not sure it looks much different. I I, I really don't. I, I can't see Greg Schiano making it that much better or that much worse. I, I think it looks very similar to what it – looks like now that that's just the way i see it I, I i've looked at it really hard jimmy and tried to think well ryan is ryan day doing a great job on some respects yeah would shiano be able to do it better i don't think so i think it would look exactly like it looks now only because they're recruiting at such a high level that the talent is
1: through the roof well well but here's the thing if it looks the same you know we're ranking, or you see other people ranking. Ryan Day is always at the top of the ranking list, and Shiano's near the bottom. But how much of that is the situation they're in? And if if you know Greg Shiano would do the same job as Ryan Day, is the same results? Is he not as good a coach? Anyway, we'll pick up this conversation when we return for quarter number two. TrustStateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Are you ready to elevate your game day experience? Then it's time for turnkey tailgating with Revel XP. You get to tailgate close to Beaver Stadium with our exclusive area next to the soccer field. Revel XP will provide the tent, the chairs, table, even the cooler and ice. We even partner with local food and beverage providers to cater your tailgate event. As someone has enjoyed tailgating with Revel XP, I know you're going to love it. Go to revelxp.com for more info.
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He's Andrew P. Shea. I'm Jim Galanti. We are talking Big Ten coaches. And before we get to Andy's ranking of them, we want to get a little bit of context and how you judge these coaches in your ranking and how you should judge them. For example, you know, we were talking a bit about Ryan Day, top end. I gave the example in, in our conversations what if you swapped Ryan Day and Greg Shiano's coaching positions with Ohio State and Rutgers? And the reason why I did it that way is Greg Shiano had been on the staff at Ohio State, so it's not entirely unrealistic if he were still there when the coaching change was made. And I guess the question is how different would Ohio State look or would they if Greg Shiano were coaching there and how different would Rutgers look if it were Ryan Day coaching there, Andy. Yeah, and I, 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 again, I don't think it looks
2: much different, to be honest, in either space. I, I really don't see that much of a difference between those two coaches. I don't think Ryan Day is that much better than Greg Ciano as a football coach. I just think his environment has been better, right? Location, location, location. Ohio state is going to be better than Rutgers on about 19 fronts before you get down to judging the job that the two head coaches can do as individuals as coaches. So I I, I'm not sure it looks that much different to be honest with you. I mean, if you look at Ryan day and you talk about it it is the back-to-back losses to Michigan, no big 10 title since 19 and, you know, sort of losing in the college football playoffs, getting there, which is really a big deal and losing. Is that poor coaching? You know, that's poor performance.
1: Is that poor coaching? I
2: you know, I struggle with that.
1: So and if his kicker makes a field goal, all of a sudden Ryan Day's a better coach and maybe right. wins a national championship. Right. In, in fact, you know, if you had to bet if that field goal's made and they play TCU in the championship game, I'm betting Ohio State is a national champion and you probably rank Ryan Day differently. Just because his kicker, you know, missed a field goal. Now, my question then is, I'm, I'm not—I don't think there'd be much difference at Rutgers either if Ryan Day were coaching there. But now, Andy, what about some of the other coaches that are at the programs that aren't the traditional top of the heap? So, take out, you know, Harbaugh, Ryan Day, James Franklin, Lincoln Riley at USC. Those programs, what coaches are there in the rest of the Big Ten that you said, hey, if Pat Fitzgerald were at Ohio State or Michigan, he would be a great choice and he would win national championships. Who are who are the coaches from the other teams that you think would be national championship-type coaches if they had the right program?
2: I think P.J. Fleck is one of them at Minnesota, Jimmy. He would be the top of my list of of the guys right now. I think he is an outstanding football coach who understands his environment very well and can do a lot more with less than most. So if you started him with a little bit more, I don't think that changes. And he's won kind of wherever he's gone as a head coach. And he's elevated Minnesota to a status through winning not through just being the row, the boat guy, but through winning and performance that is almost unheard of at that university. I think he's one of them. I do think Pat Fitzgerald, I, I would agree with you. I think Pat Fitzgerald put in one of those situations would absolutely flourish. I think he's a really, really good football coach. I think the most underrated one in the big 10 is PJ Fleck. And I think one of the best overall coaches, That everyone sort of acknowledges and knows because he's done it at Northwestern the way he's done it is Pat Fitzgerald. I think those are two right there. Luke Fickle wouldn't be on my list. He's not there yet. I need more. I need a lot more from him. But I think he's a really good football coach if you're looking at other guys. Those are the guys I would identify right away as one that I think in better situations would have success really a lot sooner than later.
1: And just... Quick note, because I do agree with you on both those choices, Um, P.J. Fleck, he had Minnesota ranked in the top 10 for the first time since 1962. Not to mention we know what he did at Western Michigan. Pat Fitzgerald, little tidbit of info from him, little trivia, Uh, Northwestern has been ranked seven times in the last 60 years. And every one of those seven seasons, Pat Fitzgerald was involved either as the head coach or as a player. So the guy, he he does win. Even at Northwestern where it's tough to do that. So you mentioned, you know, talking Pat Fitzgerald. We know he's been at Northwestern a long time. How do you judge a guy like Kirk Ferentz who's been at Iowa forever? And my little tidbit for you with him. In the last 21 seasons, he's had only two losing seasons. And this is at Iowa. And you can make fun of their offense, but he wins games. Yeah, I longevity really matters when
2: I'm looking at coaches and, and how they perform over a long period of time. Him and Pat are the two clear-cut horses for courses in the Big Ten. I would argue that James Franklin is one of those as well, but that we'll talk about that more maybe later. But I think these two are the clear-cut, and they've done it. They've each done it by taking these massively different paths to get get here. Kirk Ferentz does more winning overall. Fitzgerald is sort of the better person, I guess you could say. They're both really good football coaches. Yeah, does Kirk Ferentz have his warts? I think he obviously does. But if you're in a results-driven you know, job that he does, you can't argue with the results that he produced produces no matter what. So if winning is your measuring stick and he's your football coach, then you, you are getting exactly what you are paying for. I think he is a blueprint builder of a team. Like he has a blueprint, he has a process and he sticks to it very stubbornly. I might add no matter what. So he is going to stick to that. And if you moved him to say an elite program in the big 10, He would do the same thing, and I don't know if that would work, but that's what makes him a horse for the course, and that's what what has made Iowa a winning football program is the fact that he has stubbornly stuck to that, and
1: it has produced results that you cannot argue with, Jimmy. And sometimes in judging these coaches, you talk horses for courses, and it's interesting to look. A couple of years ago, I think a lot of people would say perfect fit for Nebraska is Scott Frost. Yeah. He won at Central right. Florida, comes back to his alma mater, terrible fit. You know, Rich Rodriguez, people talked about at Michigan. Right. You know, he won at West Virginia. He won elsewhere. It was a bad fit in Michigan. I think that one was obvious. Scott Frost, it was not. So when you go from Scott Frost to Matt Rule, are you getting a much better fit and what what makes a coach a good fit for a specific school? What makes a coach a good fit for
2: a specific school? What a great question, Jimmy. So, I think it's an understanding of how the program had when it has had success, no matter, excuse me, no matter what era that was in. You have to understand why that looked like I also think you have to understand your fan base and the expectations of what they look for out of your football program. I think those are a couple things that sort of help you. But I also think taking your stamp and putting it on a program is one of the things that make you a horse for a course and you need time to do that. So even a guy like Mike Loxley, I, I think he's a horse for a course at Maryland, but I don't and and you can say, well, he's had a few years of this. I still don't think a few years is enough for it. I think you need two full cycles. In other words, I think you need six, seven, eight years, which in the modern game we don't have much of that anymore. So it's a very fine and fickle line to answer that question, Jimmy. But man, the Scott Frost one, you you mentioned it. It's just mind-blowing because It was so bad. It was such a bad fit overall. I mean, 16 and 31, he hired bad coaches around him. He himself wasn't up for the job. Everything looked like it was a horse for the course, except when it came time to do the job, and it wasn't. That's what was so baffling about it. And same thing with Rich Rod. It just, it looked like a horse for a course, but when it came to the job, it just, was a train wreck. So those are kind of baffling situations. Is Brett Bielma a horse for the course at at Illinois? Maybe, possibly he's got Big Ten success. I think he knows how to win in this league. I think he was out of his element in Arkansas and the SEC, but I think he's comfortable in his own skin in this conference and understand how he can win seven, eight, possibly even nine games a year, in this conference. I don't think he understood that in the SEC. It's hard to be a horse for a course in Illinois because they have not enjoyed much success overall at, at, at any point other than maybe in the early 90s and a season or two here and there. So I think he has an opportunity to become a horse for a course there because he's putting his own stamp on
1: it. Andy, my take on it is, The different situations, if you go into an Alabama, an Ohio State, a Georgia, that's much different than going into an Illinois or a Rutgers or these days in Nebraska because you're inheriting a different level. At, um, At Lincoln Riley going into Oklahoma taking over for Bob Stoops, he was taking over an excellent program. So was Ryan Day at Ohio State. Now, it's much different as, say, Rutgers in Illinois, where you've got to build something, but you're also building with the idea, I'm not bringing in five stars to Rutgers. Right. Not going to happen. So how could I win a different way? The extreme case in this, and I'm going nationally, is like Army and Navy football. They right. could never get the same kind of players as the elite schools, so they found a different way to go about it, Andy, that would fit their program and their athletes. And
2: I think that's one of the big challenges Luke Fickle's going to face at Wisconsin at the next level. Not Cincinnati, at Wisconsin, is, is can he, with the players he's going to get there, can he make Wisconsin a more formidable program in an already powerful conference
1: all right very good andy we're going to interrupt our conversation about the big 10 coaches with ask andy and then quarter four we'll finish up and we'll get andy's rankings stay tuned
3: hey guys this is andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set
1: Are you ready to elevate your game day experience? Then it's time for turnkey tailgating with Revel XP. You get to tailgate close to Beaver Stadium with our exclusive area next to the soccer field. Revel XP will provide the tent, the chairs, table, even the cooler and ice. We even partner with local food and beverage providers to cater your tailgate event. As someone has enjoyed tailgating with Revel XP, I know you're going to love it. Go to revelxp.com for more info.
0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. You know what that means? It's time to ask Andy. This is where we're going to take your questions for Andy. And at the end of the segment, he'll pick out the best question. And whoever sent that question, they will be the winner of the great 409 Tailgate Club prize pack, including their fantastic coffee barbecue rubs. And if you want to send in a question for Andy, download our app, Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask Andy tab, and you can go from there. Andy, are you ready? Ready, Jimmy? Let's roll. Okay, let's start with a quick one, which I think it was kind of the consensus. Uh, Last week, Andy, you told us about your golfing exploits. Hole-in-one, you shot a 73. I asked our listeners, what were they more impressed with, the hole-in-one or the 73? (laughs) It's the 73. And you know what I think is, Andy, the reason for that? Us hackers think we could luck into a hole-in-one. There's no way for us to luck into a 73. <laughs> so, anyway. That's true. The, That's true. It, 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 it is. Hey, I've rimmed the cup already, so there's hope for me. I've never even sniffed a 73. Okay, let's uh, let's get started with our questions. Uh, let's go with Tony from Philadelphia who says, Andy. You're the Penn State offensive coordinator, and you're facing a fourth down and two late in the game. You must run for the first down. Who do you give the ball to if your running backs are Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, Nick Singleton, or Katron Allen? Oh, 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 oh,
2: oh. Well, Tony in Philly, um, I am going to give the ball to Saquon Barkley. Uh, it's cap- the captain obvious choice. If you'd have asked me among the two running backs that are on the depth chart right now for Penn State, I would have said Catron Allen. Uh,
1: Look, well, go ahead, finish your thought. No, I,
2: I, I and, and I think Nick Singleton would be second of that choice, and, and I'm almost like, did I just choose Catron Allen over Nick Singleton? I would for a two yard needed on fourth down. I would hand the ball
1: to Allen. First of all, I agree with you overall. Saquon Barkley is the choice. I think at the beginning of the season last year, I would have said Katron Allen by the end of the season. I may have changed it to Nick Singleton because I think he began to become aware of what he need when it was third and one, he didn't need 50 yards. He just needed that first down and he ran appropriately for that. And his combination of speed, power, I think if he understands what he needs to do, I think he gets close to unstoppable. All right. Uh, Jimmy in Forest City says, Andy and Jim, will KSN be hosting at the Revel XP tailgate at the home games this year? I tell you what, Jimmy... Stick around for some information on that over the next couple of weeks. We have some exciting news. But also, what are your game day strategies when you go to a game, Andy? Do you prefer to hang out at the tailgate as long as possible and walk in during the anthem? Or do you prefer to be in your seat well in advance so you can watch the players warming up?
2: That's a really good question. I prefer if I'm going to be seated in the stands to be there during warmups. I, I just like watching. I just like watching both teams get prepared, especially for a big game. I'm not a uh, land of the free home of the brave guy for any sporting event or any event at all. I do not like arriving at land of the free home of the brave. I also don't like arriving at my flight just before it's time to board it. I, I, prefer to be there. And that's just me. I want to soak in as much for my dollar as I can. And the pregame warmups to me are like, sort of like, you know, bonus hockey and overtime hockey. It's like, Hey, bonus hockey to me for football. You know, the warm up time is like bonus football. So
1: I want to be in my seat before bonus football. Good question, Jimmy. I'll tell you what, Andy, I'm kind of in the middle here. I'm, I'm not sure it's particularly special to me to see the players warming up before the game hard for me to get anything out of that so extra tailgating time to me is good however with that said when you attend a game it's different some of the extracurriculars it's important it's an important part of the game. I want to be in my seat before uh, the band gets going. I want to see the band. I want the anthem. I want to see the players running onto the field and the crowd going crazy. To me, that's all part of the fan experience.
2: And I don't care what time you have to start your tailgate and back it up earlier. I don't care if you start the tailgate at 630 for a noon game so I can be in my seat by 11. That's fine. I'll be there early. If we want four hours of tailgating, back it up and start it early. I I don't want to be arriving at land of the free home of the brave and an earlier tailgate start is fine. That's the other part of the equation. Well, what time are you going to start the tailgate? Start it early. Why not?
1: Whether you're going early or late, I'm always for more tailgating, Andy. So I like your strategy. Okay, let's go to John and Kingston who says, with the reality of today's NFL – Will great athletes like Nick Singleton decide, I don't want to be a running back? Will they go for a position that will get them more money over their careers? Um, So when you think about that, his point is running backs don't have a long career in the NFL, and they've been a bit devalued. So if you're a guy like Nick Singleton, you know, uh, does he as a young age, choose a different uh, position. Michael Parsons could have been a great running back, right, Andy? But he probably could've... playing on defense is going to have a longer career and make more money.
2: Well, he's kind of becoming a NFL defensive end more than anything else after being an elite college football linebacker, but he can also play linebacker. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you're right about the position being devalued in the NFL, but, man, I mean, the only meal ticket to start the money train rolling for Nick Singleton is at running
1: back. And you could change positions, but you're going to cost yourself value up front. Well, I think he's talking about making the decision when you're young. A Nick Singleton at the high school level, I don't know if he also played on defense, but many, most even great players at the high school level play both ways and could make a choice of what position they want to play. Nick Singleton, obviously a premier running back, and he's certainly not going to change once he gets into college. But will there be a point where again I'll use Micah Parsons again, Andy? You know, did he have the choice running back or defensive player when he came into college? And which what does that NFL money change what you decide? Yeah, I don't,
2: and I watched Micah play through high school and play all those different positions, and I I never was quite sure where, where was the meal ticket for him as an NFL player, and I always thought it was as an edge rusher. But then I watched him play linebacker in college, and I was like, man, he could be an impact player there. So, yeah, that's a, actually, it's a great question is, Are these kids thinking like that? Micah, I don't think, thought like that. Micah always wanted, thought about, Micah's dream was always to play in the NFL. College was just a stop. But I don't think he ever thought about what position it would be. He just wanted to show off that he could play six or seven of them well. That was a big thing for him.
1: Andy, I think also at that age, 16, 17, 18, they make decisions, let's face it, everyone grew up wanting to be a running back not a defensive lineman <laughs> you know prop perhaps even the better um option is when you talk offensive line versus tight end or versus defensive end it may be more fun to play defensive end or tight end but i tell you what play offensive tackle that's where the big money is right yeah and, there's but but you know how many guys are hesitant to make that change to the offensive line because that's not the position they want to play. So, uh, that, that's a very good question, Rob. Let's go to Kent in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey guys, really appreciate the show in your previous discussion, uh, shows you discussed how the big 10 plays nine conference games versus the SEC's eight. And you talked about the, um, SEC may go with nine, depending on what ESPN does. I know when it comes to the playoffs, people talk about strength of schedule. However, do you think the Big Ten beats themselves up playing too many conference games versus the Southeast Conference getting to add another cupcake to their schedule, which allows player development because they can play some of their typical non-starters, and that becomes an advantage for the Southeast Conference?
2: Yeah, that's the the hedge that the Southeastern Conference is going to play right now. Uh, it's a really good point Kent that the SEC is is going to hedge the that the college football playoff committee we both know strength of schedule they look at it but it doesn't matter it's it's your losses what is the number right like is it 2 is it 1 and it kind of matters who they are against in a four playoff field so the SEC wants to see what by st- with the eight conference games, they don't want to play the nine conference games yet. Cause they want to see if they can get as many teams as possible under that two loss window when they expand to 12. Cause right now it's one and you have a chance Two, and you're clearly out when they go to 12 teams, it'll be two is most likely in three is probably going to be a tough, tough in and most likely out. So they're hedging on keeping eight because they know the, the who you play matters, and the SEC is going to get enough of who you play good ones for the most part. So they don't need to go searching for a stronger strength in the schedule. And at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter. We've We've talked about that. So I think the SEC is hedging a bet on that to try and see how many they can get in under eight before they go to nine. And I think the Big Ten
1: might end up beating itself up a little bit, but we don't know. We've talked about this, Andy, before, and we do have a little bit of a disagreement. I Well, I understand, you know, trying to get more teams in the playoffs, more teams to be bowl eligible. It still comes down to dollars and cents. It if will. ESPN offered them a boatload of money to play that extra conference game, they would, they would take the money. Yep. It, it, it's Absolutely as simple will. as that. Um But right now, the SEC's strategy is more teams in the playoffs, more teams getting bowl games. It's why you have not seen Alabama play Georgia in the regular season in approximately 1,000 years, okay? (laughs) Anyway, that is it, Andy, for quarter number three. Stick around. Quarter four, we'll start with Andy naming our winner. Stay tuned.
3: Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are.
1: Statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment and community events over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others local perspective local expertise local information from Penn State's hometown website statecollege.com trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school team and place you love Are you ready to elevate your game day experience? Then it's time for turnkey tailgating with Revel XP. You get to tailgate close to Beaver Stadium with our exclusive area next to the soccer field. Revel XP will provide the tent, the chairs, table, even the cooler and ice. We even partner with local food and beverage providers to cater your tailgate event. As someone has enjoyed tailgating with Revel XP, I know you're going to love it. Go to RevelXP.com for more info.
0: We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystonesportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's Andy, I'm Jim. It's quarter number four. Andy, before we get to your ranking of the Big Ten coaches, we need a winner. Who do you have? John and Kingston, and it was not easy. Uh,
2: Tom, Jimmy, and uh, Kent, you guys made it hard,
1: but it is John and Kingston. Okay. It was actually Tony, not Tom. We don't want to oh, diss Tony from Philadelphia. Tony. Okay, yeah, no, very Tony. good. John, will be getting in touch with you. Congratulations. Okay, Andy. We spent the first two quarters of our show uh, talking about what the basis is for naming someone the better coach. We still got to get here to this point which is giving our rankings. Which way do you want to go? Top down or bottom up? Uh, let's go bottom up. Let's start at the bottom. All right. Yeah. All right, let's do it. All right, give so give me I'm your gonna, num- number 16. Number 16 is is the
2: is the new jack. I call him the new jack. He's a greenhorn. It's Ryan Walters at Purdue simply because he's a new head coach, right? Like, what do I know? What do we know? So he gets 16 and he only, I seriously contemplated putting Tom Allen at Indiana 16th, but I was like, ah, he's coach. At least he's been a head coach. I just think he's a bad head coach. He's a, he's a, he's a good guy, right? Like his players love him. He's a cheerleader, but as a football coach, for the measurables I look at on a football, as a football coach, not you know not including the recruiting part of it, but as a football coach, he's 15th.
1: I'll give you just a quick tidbit to counteract you on Tom Allen. He had back-to-back winning seasons at Indiana. It was the first time the Huesers did that in 30 years. Yep. Okay, let's go to number 14. So it, it's Mel Tucker at... Michigan State
2: I you might be surprised he's down this low but you know I you I, I think you need one year wonder does not do it for me and he, and it was the way he did it was a little bit impressive but you have to validate a little bit and I thought Michigan State sort of fell off a cliff a little bit so he's 14th
1: but I will give him the timing award That was a season when he did win where a lot of big uh, name schools were looking for a head coach. He leveraged that into the best contract possible for having just a partial season of success at that point. All right. We're up to number 13. Uh, Mike Loxley at Maryland. This,
2: I I like Mike Loxley. Um, I, I would want my kid to play for Mike Loxley. I just he's pulling it together slower than he thinks, but the discipline of his football program on the field on Saturdays continues to elude him. And that is a coaching thing. He knows it. His staff knows it. So there's a lot I like, but I have to put him in 13. I'm sorry, Jimmy.
1: I'm not a big Loxley guy, but I was surprised. I didn't realize this in his four years. He's He's been there. Better record every one of the four years. I know. My, and and it could happen again this year. My question is, what does he do next year when he loses the quarterback? All right, yeah. we're up to number twelve. So number twelve is Greg Schiano. I, I think his
2: second run at Rutgers, while starting on a lower threshold than when he took over the first time, has been a slower burn. I, last year, I think. The expectations were a little bit higher, and it kind of looked the same. The quarterback position continues to be one that dogs him at that in his second tenure here at Rutgers. So for that reason, I, I think he's a good football coach, though. But for that reason, I had to put him at
1: number 12. He has the burden of the division he plays in. in However, I, I will point out his five wins was the most they've had since 2014. Okay. Who's next?
2: Brett Bielma, University of Illinois. Likes coaching in the Big Ten, knows what it takes to win in the Big Ten. Put a lot of pieces in place last year. Very well done. I go back to his, I'll say the phrase again, Brett, for him and his ranking, time to validate.
1: My little tidbit on him, he won eight games. They had not had a winning record in over 10 years and he got them to eight wins in his second season. Not too bad. All right. Who's at number 10?
2: Pat Fitzgerald is number 10. I, the lows are, the lows are just the highs are really high. It seems and the lows are kind of low. It's, it's like back to back big 10 West championships followed by hardly able to win a game and barely competitive. That's, that's the only. That's my only downside to Pat Fitzgerald is the lows seem to be when the floor falls out a little bit, and they're in a very low tailspin right now. He's pulled him out of it before. He's done it, but he gets in at number ten.
1: My question is: Would anyone do much better at Northwestern than Pat Fitzgerald? No. Okay, where do we go from there?
2: Matt Rule, number nine. Love him, program builder, Temple, Baylor, right? Not bad, not horrible in the NFL, just not that horse for that course as a coach. Kind of learned a little bit about himself as a coach. Taking over something that was an absolute disaster and being able to build it from the ground up in his likeness and image, what does that sound like? Been there, done that? Hello, Temple and Baylor when he took over. Horse for the course, proven it twice, number nine.
1: I think unless you've got one of those elite schools that in the Big Ten, it's going to be tough for Matt Rule to do it again at Nebraska. All right, who's next up, Andy?
2: Yeah, this was my what I thought was my harshest ranking, which is P.J. Fleck at number eight. Gosh, I wanted to rank him higher just because I have so much respect for what he's done as a coach and a program builder. Um, longevity isn't on his side. And I just think that the struggle to get elite players there continues, and that's not going to change for him. He's going, In other words, I don't know how much more of a ceiling he can build, but I think he's a really good football coach. So I put him at number eight, and I struggled with that.
1: I might have him higher also, Andy. Who do you have at number seven? Uh, Kirk Ferentz.
2: What do you say? 19 of 21 seasons, a winning record. He's stubborn. He does what he wants. He's not going to change. He's going to do it exactly how he wants to do it. And he doesn't care what anybody else thinks, including his bosses. Um, I'm not sure he's a great football coach, but he's a great blueprint builder. So I'll give him a call at number seven.
1: He has his formula. This is how we do at, at Iowa. I'm not sure he would be successful in many other places, but relative to Iowa's ability to recruit, that seems to be a good home for him. Okay, we're up to number six.
2: My benefit of the doubt ranking goes to Luke Fickle at six. I wanted to flip him and P.J. Fleck. I really did. I initially thought about it, but he deserves the respect. He was an outstanding coordinator at a high level. He he struggled as Ohio State's head coach, but... He knew what he was as a head coach at Cincinnati. Can he do that at Wisconsin? I'll give him the benefit of the doubt to start out. But, man, this it feels like it should be lower and P.J. Fleck should be here. But I'm going to – I'm not sure he's the right horse for the course at Wisconsin either, but I know he's a really good football mind, and that means he's a good football coach. And his players like him, and they want to play for him. And that's something that is very important at Wisconsin. So I'm going to drop him in at number six. I I'm think not- he'll Go do
1: well there. at Wisconsin, Andy. But I just, I'm not sure Wisconsin could break through. Um, there's going to be a ceiling, I think, for the Wisconsin program. And I, I'm not sure he could break through that with some of the coaches and teams we have left in the rankings. Okay, number five. Chip Kelly, UCLA, he is is proving his mettle
2: at UCLA and showing you what he is as a football coach. He took over an absolute disaster at UCLA for a very tradition-laden program, and he is building it nicely. I'm a big fan of the way he's
1: doing it. And, you know, I'm just – He's burdened with the reputation he built at Oregon where where he won so much there. It's going to be hard to live up to that. You make the good point where UCLA was, where he's taking them. Good job so far. Okay, number four.
2: It's uh, it's James Franklin at Penn State. I think James has earned this spot. I think James proved his medal longevity-wise at Vanderbilt as a coach. I don't think he's done much to diminish that at Penn State. Um, I think he
1: is a horse for the course. So I I have James at number four. The big thing with uh, James is can he break through that Michigan-Ohio State door? Could he bust that door down? Right, number four, three.
2: four and 14 against those two programs, right. that's it. Number three is Ryan Day at Ohio State. You know, it's the one side of the coin – And it's the other side of the coin we talked about earlier. They're not matching up. um, And there's a gap. And when there's a gap, that's coaching. And so despite the elite talent that they get, it's not matching up with the elite performance
1: at a higher level. So I'm going to put him at number three. And we're down to our final two. Who do you have second?
2: Lincoln Riley is second. I think. Lincoln Riley is a really, really good football coach. They talk about him as a quarterback whisperer, and I think that's selling him short as a coach. I really do. I think he's got a lot more cooking than just being a quarterback whisperer. I think Lincoln Riley is outstanding.
1: I think he did a good job at Oklahoma, but he inherited a very good program. Correct. And Going to USC, right job for him. He'll be able to keep recruiting there. He's got that national name, which allows him to recruit really well, and the rep for quarterbacks. So I think he'll keep winning there. And that leaves Jim Harbaugh for number one. Jim Harbaugh, and it's
2: a, it's not even close, Jimmy. It's a, it, to me, it's a super Walmart between Jim Harbaugh and the rest of the field. Uh, he's finally realized his full potential that we've all known as a coach at Michigan. And he's got more in the tank as a coach. That's the scary part. That's why he was a clear number one for me.
1: Very good, Andy. And you timed it perfectly. We got them all in. He has Jim Harbaugh at the top of his list. If you want to complain, send me the note. But attention, Andy. All right. That is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
3: Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set.
1: Are you ready to elevate your game day experience? Then it's time for turnkey tailgating with Revel XP. You get to tailgate close to Beaver Stadium with our exclusive area next to the soccer field. Revel XP will provide the tent, the chairs, table, even the cooler and ice. We even partner with local food and beverage providers to cater your tailgate event. As someone has enjoyed tailgating with Revel XP, I know you're going to love it. Go to revelxp.com for more info.